0: Let's pray. Father, indeed, O oh, holy night it is. <laughs> you, the God of universe, comes down, takes on human flesh, and dwells among us. And the glory that left the temple at the time of Ezekiel has returned. And John said, we beheld his glory. This one we call our Messiah, our King, our Savior, Jesus. Father, as we go to look at this text in Luke, we just ask that you would guide in these few minutes together as we once again celebrate the greatest gift we as human beings could ever receive, and that is your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, you can follow along. We're in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Things were very bleak that December. (laughs) And no, I'm not referring to a winter storm, but rather a war that had engulfed the entire world. In December of 1942, the British were barely holding on. Germany had advanced its invasion into Stalingrad and Japan had bombed Pearl Harbor. And yet the monarch of the British Empire, King George VI, was expected to deliver his annual Christmas address on the 23rd, excuse me, 25th of December. In a powerful 10-minute speech, he makes these remarks. It is at Christmas more than any other time that we are conscious of the dark shadow of war. Our Christmas festival today must lack many of the happy, familiar features that it has had from our childhood. In fact, we will miss the actual presence of some of those nearest and dearest But through this outward observances, and they are limited, the message of Christmas remains eternal and unchanged. It is a message of thankfulness and of hope, of thankfulness to the Almighty for his great mercies and of hope for the return to this earth of peace and goodwill. The British monarch's words echo what the angel addressed at the first Christmas here in Luke chapter 2. So if you would, let's look at this, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. And we're told that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were absolutely terrified." And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people today. Your savior, listen to those pronouns, is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Note the description of the angel that appears to these shepherds. We're told it's an angel of the Lord, which tells us we know its origin. It's heavenly ascended. It also tells us the authority for which this herald has this messenger. It's one sent from the Lord. And it's further reiterated as authority by noting where the angel appears. It states that it stood there in their midst. It wasn't up in the sky. It was there standing in front of them. And that should send notice to us because throughout Scripture, someone who is standing is indicating authority. In Deuteronomy 18, it said of Moses, for the Lord your God has chosen him out of all the tribes to stand and to minister. And in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is being stoned and he, he looks up in the sky and he sees the Lord It says, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And so this angel we see is sent from the Lord. He's standing there in front of the shepherds and we're told that the glory of the Lord shines around him. Again, reiterating his divine origin. That term glory occurs 13 times in the gospel of Luke. And every time it's directly linked with Christ and his, salvational, his salvation or salvific work that he's there to accomplish. In other words, this messenger is sent by God to make a very important announcement. And notice the shepherd's response, they're afraid. In fact, it, it states here, they are exceedingly afraid or absolutely shocked or feared greatly. The vent or this phrase that's used is the same words used of the disciples when they saw Jesus calm the storm. It was the same thing used when Jesus cast out the demons and we're told the crowd was exceedingly afraid. It's the same phrase used of the women when they went to the empty tomb and the angel appeared and said, why, why are you standing here? He told you he'd raise from the dead. And it said, they were exceedingly afraid. Remember. <laughs> These are shepherds. They're the rough and the tough. In fact, they were seen as a bit dirty and on the margins of society. They were there to ward off wild animals or robbers. They endured the elements. You might say they're the first century Alaskan bush people, right? <laughs> they're there. They'd seen it all. And in the darkest of night living in a world of chaos, pain, and uncertainty, those shepherds knew, no, this encounter is something far greater than anything we've ever experienced. My former landlady in Scotland always looked forward to hearing the Queen's Christmas address every year. I remember Audrey saying, you know, it's gonna be good because our beloved Queen is about to share some morsels. (laughs) This has gotta be good. If this messenger from heaven appears like this, you better listen up. It's like the E.F. Hutton commercials. There's something very significant. And notice what the angel says to those shepherds. First, there's a command. Don't be afraid. It's the same thing said to Zechariah in chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel appears to him. It's the same word said to Mary when Gabriel appears to her in chapter 1 verse 30. And the angel says, don't be afraid. You need to listen very carefully. Uh, Why? Because I I have some good news to share with you. Uh, This this phrase good news occurs in a Greco-Roman world and it's often used in proclamations about the emperor. Caesar Augustus, the good news, another victory. Good news, look what he's accomplished. And here it's used in the context of this baby that's being born. And the good news, we're told, brings great joy. <laughs> the fear was great in verse 9. Now the joy is great and even greater. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, of salvation, who says to Zion, to Jerusalem, Your king or your God reigns. And the good news, notice it's personal. Notice what the text says, proclaim to you good news, to the shepherds. Remember, this isn't a group that's the top of the list for invites to a party. <laughs> They're not Herodian family members. They're not priests serving in the temple. They're not even prominent merchants. And yet, God and his sovereignty allows them to have the privilege of being the first to hear about the birth of this one called Jesus. So we see this announcements being delivered and notice the content of the the message. It says, today your savior is born. (laughs) This past week, I've had less than great joy enduring a few Hallmark movies. (laughs) And I would say a few holiday commercials. And one would think that Christmas is solely about being together, giving and receiving Santa and love. No. True Christmas is found in this angelic address. It's your Savior is born. (laughs) That's the Christmas message. And notice it says today. It's timely. It's your Savior. It's personal. This isn't some faraway thought that's reserved for the theologians in their ivory tower. No. This isn't for some book that sits on a shelf. No, this is your savior. And that term is loaded because it's used of God in the Old Testament to refer to him as one who overthrows the enemy. It was also used by the way of the emperor of Augustus. No, this is our savior And notice it states he will be born in the city of David. Normally when we think of the city of David, we think of Jerusalem, right? That's, That's how the city is often referred to. But here it's clear the context is Bethlehem. David is highlighted, it's important. His name has already occurred five times in the Gospel of Luke chapter one and two, twice in verse four alone this city of David. And it echoes back to chapter, well, Micah chapter 5, an Old Testament book written in the 8th century B.C. And a prophecy was given. It says, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. In other words, you're one of those small little bergs way out there. But from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from Ancient days, the context of Micah 's book is that god 's people are going to be punished <laughs> that 's what Micah is pro- prophesying He's telling listen you're going to be punished, but i 'm bringing you a deliverer I 'm bringing someone who can who can deliver you, and the victory will be achieved from a ruler from david 's place of origin that is Bethlehem it's interesting in Micah four, this one who comes, this Davidic ruler is described as one who brings peace, who will shepherd God's people. (laughs) Isn't it beautiful? These shepherds have the opportunity to meet the great shepherd, the one that has been promised to be born in Bethlehem. And you say, well, would... First century Jews understand that? Yes. All we need to do is go to John 7. There was confusion over Jesus being from Nazareth. And the crowd said, wait a minute. In John 7, they say, don't the scriptures say that Christ, that is the Messiah, is a descendant of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? And here, Luke, as it's recording what the angel has proclaimed, this is your Savior, born in the city of David. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah who has been given the Davidic throne to reign. And he is Lord. That term is Lord. If we were to do a study of Jesus, uh, references to Jesus in Luke's gospel, it is the key Christological term. One scholar writes, the term will clearly come to refer to the absolute sovereignty and divine relationship that Jesus possesses as the one who brings salvation. Ironically, the term was used frequently of Augustus, of the Roman emperor. Yet, who is Lord? Who is Savior? Not Augustus. No, it's this Davidic king who has been born in Bethlehem. And the angel's not done because I don't know about you, but after hearing this, I'm thinking, okay, which palace is he born in? What manner, you know, where, where's the entourage, the medical team, you know, where is this? And what does the angels declare to the shepherds? It says there'll be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. It was unexpected. It's not what you would think. If I was making up this story and making Jesus to be king, he'd be born in a palace. There'd be a royal entourage, embroidered blankets, all in blue, but not this. And notice the response. It says suddenly or immediately, a vast heavenly. Now I'm reading out of the net Bible and it uses the word army. Often we translate it as host, but here's the kicker. That term occurs 23 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it always refers to an army. You say, why do you need an army? What did Jesus say? <laughs> I could call down a legions of, of armies, right? He said in Matthew 26, I, I, I could call once at my disposal 12 legions of angels. That's a minimum of 72,000 angels at his disposal. When Vespasian was declared emperor, the soldiers went before him and they declared, this is your Lord. This is your sovereign one. And the angels here are declaring, this is your king. This is the one we have longed to see. And First John 3 tells us why. The son of God has appeared to destroy the devil's work. Similar to what the King George the VI said, we are in war, yes, we're in a spiritual battle. And God has had to enter time and space in taking on the form of flesh to dwell among us, to fulfill the promise he has made. One scholar writes, The song sung on the fields of Bethlehem is not being sung by a heavenly choir complete with long robes, arranged in neat rows with sopranos, altos, tenors, and basses singing a song. They're singing their song in full battle array. And the words they sing are in essence a celestial version of hail to the chief. That's what they're declaring. And notice what it says. They praise glory to God in the highest. In one of the Jewish writings in the inter-testament period found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says that the angels sang praises to God at creation. (laughs) This event is just as worthy. The angels declare glory to God. And notice it says, and on earth peace among people. (laughs) If we're to fast forward to Luke 19, The disciples finally get it as they honor Jesus as king on that triumphal entry. And they declare peace in heaven. It's an antiphonal. It's a bookend to this gospel. The angels declare peace on earth. And in response, those who have responded to Jesus understand peace in heaven because our king has come. In King George's speech that was delivered 80 years ago, The British monarch was uncertain of what the future held beyond that Christmas. But he knew what the first Christmas had brought. The first Christmas was a message of a promised king, a message calling for thankfulness and hope. You see, the Messiah had come, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a message of true peace for all who embrace him. Can you imagine if the British people, upon hearing King George's address in 1942, rallied together and said, we want you to abdicate? (laughs) Why, such actions would have been unthinkable. They've been foolish. They've been mad. They were in the midst of a major world war. But such is the case to refuse to embrace the address of the angels made at that first Christmas to relegate the Christmas story to a sweet little scene that simply speaks of love and peace misses the entire reason Jesus came. We are in a battle. To paraphrase King George again, there's a dark shadow of war which looms over this planet. However, we have a king who's victorious, the one who brings salvation, forgiveness of sin, and peace with the holy God. That's why Paul can state, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. (laughs) If you've not come to a point in your life when you have repented of your sins and asked the Lord to be your Savior, today is the day. For those of us who have embraced this Jesus, may we not forget the address of the angel to those shepherds. The news is good. The news brings great joy. The news entails our Savior. And it extends peace in our Christ. And the news affords a sure hope in our Lord. May we give thanks to the Almighty for his great mercies, our King, not George the Sixth, but one far greater, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ has come. Father, we come to you and we rejoice. The promises you made starting all the way back in Genesis three of this offspring who would come and deliver, Isaiah talked about this one, a virgin giving birth. Micah addressed that one would be born in Bethlehem and all of it comes colliding to this evening when we celebrate the birth of one we call Jesus, your son, our savior, Gloria. (laughs) Gloria, Gloria, Gloria indeed, because our savior reigns. He came and he reigns. And Lord, there's a day coming when he will return. Until then, we rejoice in this greatest gift that we could ever fathom salvation, restored relationship, peace, and hope, all found in this one, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. In Jesus' name, amen.